You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Good to be with you guys this morning. Um, So this was a series that uh, I taught about a year and a half ago. It was called Living in the Last Days. And so today what we're going to do is I'm actually going to teach you about the second advent of Jesus Christ. When we celebrate Christmas, it's the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. And today I thought it would be appropriate for us to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so um, this is going to be a book uh, that I, we've already got put together. I just We're having a couple editors work on it just one last time, and I was hoping to have it to you as a gift uh, for Christmas, uh, but it'll be Easter. So uh, we'll, we'll put it together and have it done. And so what I'm going to teach you today It's going to be a lot of content. Uh, It'll be more of an overview. So I want to encourage you, if if you're really intrigued by the message today, I'd encourage you to go online and you can look at the messages and then you can find online, uh, you'll be able to find kind of the the message called Living in the Last Days. And it's an eight-week series that we're turning into a book and we'll be excited to get that out to you sometime before Easter. But uh, over this last week, we celebrated Christmas. That's the first advent. Uh, that's the first coming of Jesus Christ. Just show you some pictures real quick. We had angels and shepherds. And how many of you guys were a part of Wednesday night? Raise your hand just so I can see. Couple, raise them high. Okay. How many of you were a part of Thursday night? Raise your hand. Okay, a bunch of you. How many of you were a part of Friday night? Okay, just a few. Friday night, we about got rained out, and so we decided to make an improvise, and then we, we came in here, and uh, we made the most of it. But it was a really fun time. Uh, oh, a special thanks to all of our angels and shepherds, and then we had a beautiful night closing out with a silent night. And, um, you know, one of my favorite Christmas songs is Joy to the World. I love that song. Um, and it's celebrating yet the birth, the coming of Jesus Christ, but it's also celebrating, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's celebrating the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so I want to show you some lyrics and then uh, maybe get you to think about how you sing joy to the world in the future. When the, when, the, when the song says, joy to the world, the Lord is come, it's absolutely referring to the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus born in, help me out, in Bethlehem. There you go. Um, And let earth receive her king. Um, The idea of earth receiving her king, you know and I know, not everybody believes Jesus Christ is king. Can I get an amen? Amen. So you know not everybody receives Jesus Christ uh, as Lord and king, Um, but there is also a foreshadowing in this hymn about the second coming, when there will be one day Um, When Jesus Christ comes back and has dealt with all the unrepentant and the injustice in the land, and the the Bible says his kingdom will come, uh, his will will be done, help me out, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are waiting the king. Advent is this time of waiting. Uh, continuing uh, on in the, in the song, it says, No more let sins and sorrows grow. You sing this every Christmas, um, but is there still, uh, after the birth of Jesus Christ, is there still sin in the world? The answer is yes. You see it on TV. You see the injustice. You see the crime. Uh, Just yesterday, as I'm driving around on Christmas, guess who was in uniform driving around on the streets? 
police officers. Why were they doing that? Because sin is still present all in our city. And so um, the, the, the Joy to the World song here is now pointing towards a time when there will be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more, uh, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. This is a kickback to Genesis. Uh, when the sin enters the world, and as a part of the uh, ramifications are, sin enters the world like, like a curse, and it curses the ground, and all of a sudden, work is incredibly difficult, relationships are fractured. All of creation, according to the Apostle Paul, is like groaning. Like it's, there's a sense where all the plants, all the animals, uh, it's just there's a tension. And so this is saying no, no, nor, uh, there'll be a time when there's no more frustration. He, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And closing out in that song, Joy to the World, look what it says. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. This is joy to the world. There, it's referring to a time when every tongue Every tribe, every nation will worship King Jesus. That time is not right now. That is not the world that you and I live in. Uh, There is a time for you and me where we can actually look forward to as a believer and go, one day, all injustice, every wrong that has been done will be dealt with and made right. Um, Our king is coming back, and this is, when we talk about Advent, it is not only recognizing the birth of Jesus Christ in his first coming, but also in the second coming. So here's a definition for Advent. Advent is a season of the liturgical year observed in by most Christian denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas and the return at the second coming. So that is Advent. Let's all say Advent together. Advent. There you go. And so it's really like a comeback. There is a, uh, we're looking at the greatest comeback ever recorded in human history is what we're going to see. Um, comebacks are always fun to watch. I don't know how many of you guys watched the, the Cardinals game last night. It wasn't much, of, it wasn't a comeback at all. Um, But I recall it was uh, last year, it was a Sunday night, Uh, my wife was out of town, my kids, uh, two of my kids were out of town, my 16-year-old daughter was home, and I was looking forward to, after a long day of uh, church and ministry and preaching, uh, just to hang out on the couch uh, and watch a game. And sure enough, uh, the Cardinals were playing, and they were matched up against the Seattle Seahawks, they were playing in Cardinals Stadium, and uh, commentators were, were really hamming it up and saying, you know, that there's been kind of like this curse on the Cardinals playing in the stadium, and the Seahawks uh, were going to show up and perhaps show off and take another victory. And sure enough, as I'm watching the games, the Cardinals, they actually start doing really, really well in the first half of the game, and I'm watching on the couch, and my daughter walks up, and she says, hey, Dad, I haven't spent much time with you today. Do you think we could watch a movie? And I'm thinking, oh, man. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst timing in the world. The Cardinals are breaking the curse. Like, no. And so I said, sure, sweetie, we'll watch a movie. And we watch a movie together, and I'm sitting there the whole time. I'm like, should I turn on my fantasy? Should I check my scores? Should I? 
you know, what, so I don't, and I'm sitting there, and then uh, sure enough, as the movie ends, I'm thinking, all right, I'll turn, off my, turn airplane mode off my phone, and I start getting all these text messages in from my son. My son's out of town. He's like, Dad, did you see the game? It was the greatest comeback ever. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And sure enough, the Arizona Cardinals came back and broke the curse, and it was one of the greatest comebacks ever in uh, Cardinals history, and they came back. But did you know um, that God's been working and preparing in the hearts of believers for an incredible comeback in the Christian faith? Uh, God's working on a comeback and preparing believers and has been for a long time. And a lot of churches forget to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We always, listen to this, we always think about the first coming. And we do a great job on remembering it, but we got to remember the second coming. The second coming is an incredible time when victory is finally here, where there is no more evil, there is no more war, there is no more sin, there is no more sorrow. And so this uh, second coming is a big, big deal. You know, um, Jesus' disciples were confused too. After the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible records that Jesus literally ascended into heaven. He just flew up. And then the disciples are standing there wondering what in the world is going on. Let's look at the passage recorded in, in um, the Acts chapter 1. The angels said to these disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The disciples were literally just staring into the sky. Jesus has ascended. The angel intervenes and supernaturally speaks audibly and says, he's coming again. Don't you worry. He's coming again. Um, According to Pew Research, they reported that 41% of Americans believe Jesus will probably or definitely return by 2050. So there is a chunk of Americans that do expect that things are not just going to go on as usual forever. Um, is it the times? Is this, will this happen? I don't know. The Bible says no one really truly knows, but right we are seeing so much, I think, in our world right now that things are being set up where it looks like, man, the time is nearer perhaps more than ever that things are coming together as scriptures say. I mean, I've been asked as a pastor, Pastor Ryan, you know, um, as the government has kind of started to take control, is this not a sign of the times like with the tribulation and some of the wars that are going on and the forcing of the mandating of the vaccine? And some folks have come to me and said, is that the mark of the beast? And, and then there, the currency stuff that we see where everything's turning into a global economy and these global leaders working together in cahoots. I mean, there's a lot of what I would say is being set ups for what will be like in the future. And so everything you're seeing right now in our culture, I think is a foreshadowing and it's helping you to see that the things that are predicted and prophesied in scripture about things going bad and then needing Jesus, King Jesus coming back, I think it's all a setup. And I think the church has got to be aware that there is this thing called the second coming, and we do need to be ready, and there are things that we can do here and now. So the question comes is, why study the second advent? I would say, number one, it's for your blessing. 
The book of the Bible in Revelation says, blessed is the one uh, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I'm reading aloud to you some of these things. Uh, Maybe the Lord's going to give me some extra blessing, but also for you. And blessed are those who hear, who hear in the hearing of God's word and understanding the promises and the predictions. There's blessing in that. And then those who keep it, what is written, uh, for the time is, help me out, near. Um, And this was written uh, thousands of years ago. And so what we do need to know is the very next event, and if you would like to uh, go back to that series, the very next event uh, for the end times event is called the rapture, when Jesus will save and rapture all believers, and then we will be safe. Um, and we will be rescued in a sense. It's God's greatest rescue operation. Um, but then all hell's going to break loose on earth. And so there is going to be a, a time um, where uh, we are going to realize that, man, you know what? The United States of America has an expiration date on it, just as Rome has an expiration date on it. Every civilization for all times, we think things will just go on forever as usual. That's not what the Bible says. Um, so why should we study this? We should study it's for your blessing. Number two, it's all about Jesus. Um, look what the scripture says. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't come just meek and mild like some little child. He's also a, an adult king, and he's, a, uh, he's completely just. And so we have to put into our Christian worldview framework that all the injustice that we see in the world, there is consequences for this stuff. Uh, we live in a tension in between where the world is not as it ought to be. And the world that is to come is better. And this is why Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, help me out, those of you that know it, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is a prayer for the culmination, the return of Jesus Christ as king to rule and to reign and to set all things wrong into making them right. And so this is all about Jesus, and it's a mega theme. Of the 333 prophecies about Jesus, only 109, look at this, were fulfilled in the first advent, meaning there's 224 yet to be fulfilled in the second coming, in the second advent. So the Bible writes about this all the time, all the time. And what we've done as Christians and as churches is we spend most of the time celebrating and and remembering is the first advent. And that's great. However, the second advent, I think, gives a clear witness that Jesus Christ is not just some little baby. He's a king, And he will come back and restore and make all things new. So for me, when I'm talking to my unchurched friends, my agnostic buddies, my atheist friends, or people of a different faith, what I I can tell them, hey, the world's screwed up, but it's not always going to be like that. King Jesus will return and will make things right. So it helps us to build a biblical framework. Here's what the Apostle John said. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. 
He wants us to see that this is going to be a worldwide event. Everybody's going to see it. All those that have turned their backs on Jesus Christ and those who follow Jesus Christ, everybody's going to know King Jesus is returning. There's three things specifically that I think we need to know about the second advent of Jesus Christ. Uh, Number one is Jesus will come when he returns on a war horse. He's not riding a donkey. He's not coming bringing peace. He's coming and waging war against all evil. The Bible says, is in Revelation chapter 19, it says, um, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This uh, echoes the same idea when the angels told the disciples, He's going to come back. Uh, he's ascended into heaven, but He's going to return. Uh, heaven opens up, behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. This is interesting to me, this white horse uh, symbolizes uh, the idea of a conquering king. And in those days and times when the apostle John wrote this, generals would only ride the white horse onto the battlefield after the victory was already won, after the battle was already won. Jesus here comes to the scene ahead of time, signaling to the entire world that the battle's already won, that he's already done it. And so here he comes um, in a unique way, and he's coming. This is very different than the Jesus that we know in his first coming. His eyes are not filled with tears, uh, weeping over Jerusalem, Uh, His eyes are filled with fury. Look what it says in the following verses. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head many diadems, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. He is not riding a donkey. He is riding a war horse. He is not wearing a crown of thorns. He's wearing a crown of victory. He is not uh, stripped of his garments and whipped to a bloody pulp, but he wears a garment that is spattered with blood, signifying judgment and victory. He's not coming to bear God's wrath on a cross. This time he is coming to execute God's wrath on the unrepentant and all the evil in the world. This is King Jesus. You do not have a weak Jesus. You do not have a weak king. You have a powerful king, better than any president, any superpower. He is King Jesus. He will restore justice once for all. This is King Jesus. Amen? So when we think about the Advent, we have to think in the totality of it. Yes, we thank God that Jesus came as a baby, signifying everybody's excited, everybody loves the little baby. Yes, that's cute. Yes, that's wonderful. But in his second coming, we see the adult King Jesus returning to finally right every wrong and restore justice once for all. So um, with this being said, he's not coming alone. I don't know if you've ever... uh, seen a war fought where, or watched, you see the movies on TV, or you've gone into battle yourself, and for those of you that are in the military or armed forces, but you don't win a war by yourself. Uh, although King Jesus could, he doesn't. The Bible says is that Jesus is coming with an army. This is pretty cool. Uh, it says that, uh, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white, uh, white pure were following him on white horses. 
uh, Jesus is coming, and he's coming with an army, which is pretty incredible. The Bible uh, says uh, that he is going to come with the holy ones will be coming with him. How many of you guys remember this song? I'm a terrible singer, but I'm going to try. Oh, when the saints, if you know it, oh, when the saints go marching in. You got it? Let's try that again. Oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints go marching in. And then he says, I want to be a part of that number. Well, guess what? The Bible actually portrays this very idea in Zechariah. It's prophesied that the Lord's going to come back and his holy ones are going to be with him. There'll be angels and there will be saints following with King Jesus to restore and right everything wrong. And we get a picture of heaven in Jesus as we're just going to be in heaven strumming harps. We're not going to do anything. No, we have a planned activity where we are going to purge the world of evil. We will be joined with uh, the angelic forces. And it's a pretty cool deal. I think of that song uh, that we sing actually is a reminder that saints will have a role in the redemption of all of humanity and the redemption and the restoration of the way things ought to be on earth as it is in heaven. Louis Armstrong um, made that song famous with the big uh, band New Orleans style, and it's transformed uh, this timeless tune for jazz. But again, it's people realizing, you know what, our king is coming. And the saints will one day come marching in. This scene also is a reminder to me, kind of like, I mean, how many of you guys have seen Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings? There's this incredible angelic or supernatural uh, army that is assembled to purge and to fight evil. And I think this is the kind of imagery that uh, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien were trying to demonstrate and creatively illustrate for you to see. This is the kind of activity that's going to be taking place. Uh, it is a, uh, a renewal of all things, and it's going to be a powerful experience. And then number three, I would say this, is that Jesus will establish peace, a peace that's everlasting. Um, we see glimpses of peace on earth in some settings, in some situations, and when you look at global events, where's always seems to be the most conflict? You think oftentimes of the Middle East. And it was in September of 2020, uh, walk with me on this, the President of the United States of America and Israel, the President of Israel, along with the President of the United Arab Nations, signed this historical agreement. It was like an Abrahamic kind of uh, peace treaty, if you will. And this uh, kind of symbolized and created an agreement of peace and prosperity through mutual cooperation that... Everybody wouldn't kill each other and raid into their countries. And uh, it was a historical moment, and many Christians around the world began to think, is this the sign of the oncoming of the second return of Jesus Christ? Here's my response to that. I think, again, it is a setup for what we're going to see in the future. Everything is coming together that we are moving along in biblical prophecy and we're th seeing things that are being set up and the church needs to be awake and aware that this isn't just fiction or fairy tale. This stuff will come to pass. So it's a foreshadowing, I think, of what happened. 
in September of 2020, uh, that peace agreement. It's a foreshadowing of the coming peace that will come upon the world in the time of Jesus' second coming. If you watch the news right now, you might not think that there is a peace really exists. There's some 192 to 197 different countries, depending on who you ask, in our world. And we seem to always have conflict, or there's conflict in Russia, Turkey, Iran, or North Korea. But the Bible tells us that there will be a day where there's no more presidents, no more superpowers, no more dictators, no more tyrants. All of those will be removed, and King Jesus will establish his throne in Jerusalem under the rightful reign from the heritage and the lineage of King David. And he will rule from Jerusalem the entire world. And so it is a time that is coming in which Jesus will establish a peace. There will be no democracy in this new heaven, new earth. There will be no uh, republic. There will only be a theocracy where Jesus Christ reigns and he rules. He's our king. That is our allegiance to him. And so here's what the scripture says. Let's look at some of the passages and again, see this first coming and second coming tied together. In Isaiah, look what it says. We know this passage and we've always interpreted this passage for Christmas and the first coming, but think about it from the second coming. For to us, a child is born. Yes, that is Christmas. To us, a son is given. Yes, that is Christmas. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let me ask you this. During the life of Jesus Christ, uh, was the government on his shoulder? Was, he, was the government in cooperation with the Son of God? It was the Roman government that had Jesus Christ executed. Um, this is a foreshadowing of the future role and work of the Son, Jesus Christ. There is a time where every government will be overturned and Jesus Christ will assume the rightful reign in leadership. It says, in his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mighty God, that is El Shaddai, Everlasting Father, Prince of, help me out, peace. Did Jesus establish a peace? Yes, and not fully. So the peace was available for those that experienced uh, the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. But you know and I know, we don't live in a world where there's peace everywhere. But that peace is coming. And this is why the Lord's Prayer again is so important. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven there's perfect peace, on earth there's not. But there is a day coming when there will be a perfect peace. And verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There is a time when there will be a perfect peace on our planet Earth. Um, it'll be a new heaven and a new earth is how the Bible describes it. Revelation chapter 21 describes that. And so I think that when you're out on vacation on, uh, at the Grand Canyon or the mountains or on the beaches and you sit there and you see and you take in all the beauty and the majesty of creation, you say, man, I love this. What you can say is one day it'll even be better. And everything you experience, everything you encounter in life, the love that you have for one another, the great things and the wonderful things, man, one day it will be even better. And so Jesus is coming to restore peace, and there's not going to be any more war. 
Uh, there'll be no more war at all. The prophet Isaiah uh, predicted this, and he says this, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Peoples, that word peoples, is the idea of ethnic groups all around the world. So it's not just people, that's not, just a, ty- that's not a typo, that is a word, peoples. Um, it means all ethnic groups in all places and all times. He says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, meaning they're not going to need weapons anymore in the future, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There's no more military training camps in this new heaven, this new earth. There's no more uh, boot camps. There's no police training, no academies. There's none of that is taking place. There is no more war. It's over. Uh, here's what David, Dr. David Jeremiah says, is war will be utterly unknown during the earthly reign of Christ. Not a single armament a plant will be operating. Not a soldier or sailor will be in uniform. No military camps will exist. Not one cent will be spent on a military budget. Even the wild animals will become dear friends, as it were. That's very much the imagery that you find in C.S. Lewis's work and Tolkien's work. Uh, image, imagine such an age in which all the kingdoms of this world and even the animal kingdom will be in perfect peace. I know that idea really pleases my daughter. Just yesterday, we were out uh, four by fouring and doing a little hunting back behind Lake Pleasant. And I had my dog with me, and we started talking about the future and how uh, what God's plan is. And she, my daughter, sixteen-year-old daughter, said, "Dad, do you think we're going to have animals in heaven?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely. The lion shall lay down by the lamb." So all throughout Scripture, there's this idea that God created in Genesis. The Bible says He created everything, and it was good. So God is going to restore all things. There'll be peace among all people, peace among even the animal kingdom. It's going to be awesome. Um, And then so what? So what? So what should we do? I would say three things. Number one is this is an urgency for people to understand that you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith and assurance of uh, the future needs to be in Jesus Christ. More than anything, you can't place your faith in our culture. You can't place your faith in your circumstances. You always need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is a king. He will return. He will right every wrong. Uh, he will seek and establish justice once for all. Um, there will be peace in the land. Every superpower, every president will be uh, needed no more. And King Jesus will return. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, we need to share the love of Christ. This is an urgency that people need to speak up. This is about the good news of Jesus Christ. Even in the first coming, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, for behold, I bring you, help me out, good news that will be for all the people. You and me are the dispensers of good news. You are the chosen instrument, you are the chosen vehicle called the local church to be broadcasters of this news. You should be the transmitters, you should be communicating this stuff. And our culture doesn't like the good news near as much as they like the good works. That would be the third thing, that we need to show the love of Christ. Our culture values good works far above good news The second you start talking about Jesus, they get a little offended because Jesus is too exclusive at times, and uh, Jesus is restrictive, so 
culturally speaking, we don't like the good news. Culturally speaking, we like the good works. Good works are important. Both are important as a believer. Right now, you need to understand that uh, the church has perhaps one of the, the times of urgency is near. The signs are being set up. Jesus will return. People get to heaven by responding to the good news of Jesus Christ. They experience life everlasting, peace everlasting, uh, his kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven by understanding that good news, responding to that good news. But sometimes people just need to see good work first. And so good work would be showing the love of Christ. This is when we do good things. Jesus told his disciples, if you recall, uh, in Matthew 5, 16, 17, he says, let your light shine uh, so that uh, others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Every year, we do a number of projects, whether it's building homes in, down in Mexico alongside needy families. Um, we do work on the Navajo nations. And you know what's unique to me is even my atheist, agnostic, or friends of different faith will talk to me and ask, can we help partner in some way or another along those good works? We as a culture value good works, not as much good news. But I'm telling you, both are incredibly important. Uh, one of the things that I'm most excited about for our church is a new uh, good work that we're starting called Fathers in the Field. And this is perhaps going to be one of the greatest works that our church is going to do. Um, what we're doing, we're launching on January 16th, it's called Vision Sunday. And we're going to be commissioning men that are going to do good works. And those good works will be as being a father mentor to fatherless children of fatherless boys, to be specific, in the Phoenix Valley. Um, single moms and their uh, fatherless uh, children make up the largest unchurched demographic in North America. This is perhaps the greatest need in North America for reaching people. Single moms make up the largest demographic of the unchurched in North America. North Valley will turn into a church that is specifically and intentionally reaching and targeting to reach single moms. And the reason why is, is because we want to make a difference. And we have an opportunity. Culture is getting twisted upside down. It's very confusing for a young little boy to grow up, even in our educational system, where gender and masculinity is deeply confused. Even in our educational system right now, all of our identity is being attacked. And when you look back over biblical history, the number one uh, strategy for Satan is to confuse the identity. It's to confuse the individual about who they are. This is why suicide's on the greatest high, uh, even among our young. They're confused. And there's an identity crisis that is going on. And we, as a church, are going to say, we're going to show the love of Jesus Christ. We're going to provide what I'm going to say, biblical, authentic, a masculine vision for young boys who do not have a father. We will commission these men. They will be like missionaries from our church. And this is, program will never go away. It will be here to last. We are the first church in Arizona that's launching this program. And I ask that you would help, help us show the love of Christ by begin telling your friends telling your family members or you yourself who are a single parent to say, 
I want to be a part of that. You can give, you can partner with us, and you can pray with us. You can share and get the word out with other folks. January 16th, we're kicking that off. So I want to encourage you um, to take all this seriously and realize we've got a lot of good work to do before Jesus comes back. We don't want to be found just sitting around. We want to be found being at work, making a difference. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you are coming back, that we don't have simply a meek and mild child in the manger. We have an adult uh, king, strong Jesus that will return and right every wrong and provide justice once for all. Thank you, Lord, that you charge us to do good works, that you challenge us to share good news. And Lord, we need to place our faith fully in you. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Hey, I am going to be taking a break over the next two weeks. I've got some preachers coming in that are going to do a fantastic job. Um, But before I uh, leave and uh, I return in the new year, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Another great way that you can show the love of Christ is participate with our campus development project. Uh, We've got a new building opening up, and that building will be for kids and youth. And it's the last and the largest building on our campus. And if you want to participate with that and show some love to help make sure our finally our youth can actually have an indoor facility. They've been outside for the last four or five years. And so we need to provide that space for them. Um, you can do a year-end gift online. You can do one here uh, in our giving boxes. The envelopes are in front of you. I want to encourage you to do that before we hit December uh, 31st, January 1st timeframe, and know ahead of time that when you give, it's actually matched. So your gift will be multiplied, and that gift is up to $40,000 you can give, and it's going to go help make a big difference. So let's continue to worship together. Pastor Joshua is going to lead us. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.